You cannot time the market. I have yet to meet someone, Consuelo, who can time it. Some people can get one leg of it right. They know when to get out, but they, then they forget when to get back in again. It's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. I'm a huge fan of automatic investment plans where you're just putting in, whether it's every paycheck, every month, and just forgetting about and trying to block out the noise. Portfolio manager Jerry O'Reilly describes the very active management required to run Vanguard's total stock market index fund, the world's largest mutual fund. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Talk. I'm Consuelo Mack. What does it take to run the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, the world's largest mutual fund? Well, you are about to find out, and it turns out managing this trillion-dollar-plus behemoth is anything but a passive exercise. In his Wealth Track debut, our guest this week is Jerry O'Reilly, the fund's portfolio manager. But before we get into his professional credentials, you might be interested to know he came to the U.S. in 1983 on a track scholarship at Villanova University, where he had the distinction of running under four-minute miles several times and went on to represent his native Ireland in track in the 1988 Seoul Olympics. Luckily, he stayed in the U.S. near Vanguard's campus. He is now a principal in Vanguard's Equity Index Group, where he oversees the daily trading and management of multiple index portfolios with total assets of approximately $2 trillion, the largest being Vanguard's $1.3 trillion total stock market index fund, which includes its $300 billion-plus ETF share class. O'Reilly is the longest-running portfolio manager of both. O'Reilly joined Vanguard's trading desk in 1992 when the Total Stock Market Index Fund was launched. He then became portfolio manager in 1994 and has overseen its spectacular growth ever since. Total Stock Market was the first index fund to cover the entire U.S. market. It tracks the crisp U.S. total market index, which includes all of the investable stocks in the U.S. market, nearly 4,000 of them. Here's a quick timeline. In its early years, fund assets were under a billion dollars. In 2001, the Total Stock Market Index ETF was launched as a share class of the fund, which was a novel idea at the time. By 2005, Total Stock Market Fund assets had grown to $65 billion. Ten years later, as Vanguard celebrated its 40th anniversary, assets had reached $400 billion. Today, total stock market fund assets have reached $1.3 trillion, making it the world's largest mutual fund. And contrary to common perception, there is nothing passive about managing an index fund, especially one of this size. I asked O'Reilly why it is so challenging. I think people think that, hey, it's, it's passive, there's not a whole lot to be done, but uh, it turns out that there is quite a lot to be done. So if you think about the total stock market portfolio that I, that I manage, it's 4,000 securities. So on any given day, you've got so many moving parts. We could have syndicate offerings. We could have, uh, you know, you've got cash flows coming out of the fund. You've got elections that need to be made if stocks need to be tendered. And all of that, uh, and you're also looking at cash flows that are coming into the fund. And we accept cash flows all the way up until four o'clock. So, you know, you need to factor all of that into running your trade list at the end of the day and making sure that at the end of the day, 
that your fund is exactly tracking the benchmark. So there's lots of moving parts. And then there's the trading aspect of it, is, which is even when you've generated the trade list, what's the best way to trade this list so that you have tight tracking without having too much impact on some of the names that might be more illiquid in your basket. So there's lots of moving parts, Consuelo, going on. And our job is basically to deliver the return of the, of the benchmark to our shareholders every day. You were quoted as you, you have to deliver perfection every day and sometimes you have to deliver uh, perfection plus. So it's a yeah. daunting task that you started out at Vanguard as a trader and then, then you, you joined the Total Stock Market Fund uh, in 1994, you know, two years later. So you've been there kind of from the get-go when it's expanded, you know, to where it's the world's largest mutual fund at this point. I mean, how key is being on your feet at the trading desk uh, every day? I mean, is, is that basically where all the action happens? It is. I mean, it, it, you know, I would say it's, first of all, it, it is not a one-man operation. I have an incredibly talented team around me, um, both tr other traders uh, who back me up and also, you know, peer groups. For example, you know, we have a team that comes in, Consuela, first thing in the morning. They're in at before seven o'clock and making sure that all the benchmarks that we track, that they are perfectly where they need to be, that all the corporate actions have been adjusted, all the splits are done, so that when I come in, and I start looking at my portfolio, I know I'm comparing it to the exact, to the gold standard benchmark. And that's a lot of work. You know, you have some of these benchmarks that have 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 different names. So those are the people that kind of set it up for me when I come in in the morning. And then I have, you know, uh, middle office folks, I've got uh, data folks, I've got a whole bunch of people that are helping me do my job. But I would say, the camaraderie and the interaction that we have on the desk is really, you know, kind of where the rubber hits the road. That's where you get access to great information, reaching out to brokers about potential changes that are coming, corporate actions that might be coming along. And so we, we, we have this a, a really fantastic uh, kind of camaraderie on the desk where we have probably average tenure is probably close to 12 or 13 years. And everyone is passionate about what they do. You know, it's indexing is part of our DNA. It, the, indexing is not something that we just started to do in the last few years. No, right. It's, been, it's been at our core since the very beginning. And fractions of a basis point is a huge deal to us. So when you talk about perfection, we'll get reports every morning around 10 a.m. showing us how our fund did versus the benchmark on the previous day. And if it's off by even a tenth of a basis point, there's people from our risk departments wondering what's going on in your portfolio. And we as portfolio managers should be able to describe that. But it's a collective effort, Consuelo, and it's, a, it's an incredible environment, great energy. You come in, it's, it's, it's 7.30 in the morning, and all of a sudden it's 5 o'clock at night. It just it flies by. How much simpler was it in 1992 or 1994 when the fund was a, a lot smaller uh, than it is now? How, how is the environment evolved? How is the managing it evolved? When I started uh, on the desk, the, I think total stock market was at uh, a little over $12 billion. And today it's, it's $1.3 trillion. And back then, um, electronic trading really wasn't, wasn't a thing. It was all manual. So if you were trading New York na a listed name, you, the phone was your tool. You called people on the floor to get a look for a name. You had your list of names and you called down there to get a look. And if it was a NASDAQ name, you called one of the brokers and they would tell you what the bid-ask spread was on a particular name that you might be trading. So it's very manual. Uh, stocks traded in teenies or sixteenths. Mm -hmm. And then it was only in, in early 2000s when we went to decimals. So all of a sudden st stocks are trading penny wide, which 
you know, that itself was a huge uh, boon for investors because transaction costs narrowed substantially when we went to decimals. And so all of a sudden, electronic trading became much more important. So, so today I will tell you that, you know, Picking up the phone is almost like it doesn't happen that often. It's, it's, we're using um, algorithms to trade. So algorithms are a way that we can source liquidity. Back then in the, the mid-90s, we really only had two places you could trade. It was either New York or NASDAQ. Today we have 16 exchanges and we have about 40 pools, dark pools, where you can trade. So if you're trading a name, it's a little like whack-a-mole. Like you're, you're, you're trading a name, you don't know if the seller is on any one of those different exchanges. So you're, you're trying to source liquidity and algorithms can help you do that in fractions of a second. And how do algorithms do that? So algorithms are offered by all of them, the big bulge bracket banks. So the, you know, the Goldman's, the Morgan Stanley's, and they hire some of the brightest guys, physics, math, PhDs, to, to, to basically design these algorithms that can help you source liquidity across this maze of exchanges and dark pools. And what we do at Vanguard is we basically, we will have them compete against each other. So we use algorithmic wheels. So we'll put in maybe five of the top brokers and then we'll have them compete against each other over the course of a month. The broker that's in fifth place gets put on the bench and we'll bring someone new in. So they, they understand that every month it's a competition amongst their peers to, to see who can deliver the best performance for our shareholders. On a monthly basis, they, there'll be a scorecard. So how, do, how have you done versus your peers? And if you're in fifth, you're getting, if you're in first, you're probably going to get an even greater allocation of our trades going forward. So that's kind of how we keep it honest with the brokers. And they understand that and they welcome the challenge. When you hear dark pools, you know, it sounds like something sinister. It, it's not necessarily. Um, so so ex explain what, what dark pools are and why they're in, they are so important in these transactions. If you think about it, let's take a step back. Exchanges basically offer free access. So anyone can, can trade in New York or you can tra trade on NASDAQ. Uh, dark pools are private pools that are offered by, usually it's brokerage firms who will invite whoever they want into their dark pools. They will use the bid off, the pricing from exchanges to kind of set the prices. And a lot of times the execution is in the middle of the spread. The advantage of a dark pool is potentially that it is anonymous. Nobody knows who the buyer and the seller is. On, on an exchange where you potentially have, uh, you know, people may, there, there is a concern that if you're trading a lot that you may leave a kind of a footprint. Dark pools maybe offer you a little more anonymity and can help you get larger size done. So if I put orders in, I could be trading with one of my competitors and we could put 50,000 shares up. Um, and nobody knows that it was Vanguard and nobody knows that it was the seller on the other side. You just see this big print hit the tape and you know that it went up in a dark pool. So it's, it's just another tool that's available to us in terms of our trading. But we use dark pools, we use exchanges. Um, depending on where the liquidity is at, Consuelo, that's where we're going to go. I would imagine that there are lots of hedge funds out there, traders out there who would just love to front run. You know, they would love to call, you know, no, oh, well, Vanguard's coming in and we know they've got X thousands of shares of this to sell. And so yep. they can, you know, anticipate and take advantage of that. So they, and, and anonymity is, is important to you, right? So that, that you, yeah. you are taken advantage of. That's hugely important. I mean, you know, you want to be, that's the responsibility of us, the traders, is basically to make sure that you're not out. I mean, we, we work orders 
but you're not going out there and showing you the full amount of what you need to do. So that's one of the things with algorithms is it breaks your order up. But there's no question, um, there are techniques that we've used over the years. As I said, our average you know, tenure on the desk is about 12 years. Right. So there are strategies that you can kind of disguise what you need to do. And uh, you certainly, if you're gonna be out there showing everyone what I need to buy out loud, uh, absolutely, you're gonna have people that would run in front of you. So there are people out there that would love to know what us and other large asset managers are trying to do. What I would say is that, you know, we as traders, when we're looking at index changes, for example, when a name is getting added to an index, we monitor the excess volume that is going, that has hit the tape since maybe the, the day of the announcement. And so you can kind of see, you know, how many people are starting to build up inventory, liquidity providers maybe buying ahead of an index change. And based on that information, then you can decide, you can tailor and tweak your strategy to account for that. I will say that on the day of an index change, liquidity providers do provide liquidity that potentially can minimize impact on the name. So mm -hmm. it's not all bad. Um, and a lot of times, liquidity providers who are out there buying in front of an index change, they can overwhelm indexing demand. And in fact, the stock ends up going the opposite way, where they will overwhelm the demand and a buy may actually close on its lows. A lot of people from the outside have talked about the clout that uh, index funds that, for instance, Vanguard has with the total stock market fund. You have the potential to, you know, to potentially do damage in the market because you're so yeah. big and so powerful. Why shouldn't we be concerned about that? Or, or how concerned should we be about that? I would say this, that even though our assets are large, one of the really nice things about indexing is that the turnover in your portfolios tend to be very low. For example, in the total stock market portfolio, my average turnover on an annualized basis is around 10%. So that is a very small amount relative to maybe an active fund where turnover can be in the 60, 70, 80% turnover. Mm -hmm. And that turnover means that I, I don't have to do as much trading. Like there are names in total stock market, Consuelo, that I've owned since I started managing the fund back in 1994. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're not going in and out. They're staying there. I mean, I'm selling stocks potentially when maybe a, a name is going bankrupt, for example, we, and they're no longer listed on an exchange, it would get deleted from my benchmark. I might have to sell it. If there are names that are going overseas, I may have to sell. But for the most part, I'm holding on to stocks almost forever. And the other thing I would, I would mention is that as traders, we understand that when we're trading, the goal is to minimize that impact. So we are mm -hmm. not intentionally, we don't send trades that we think are gonna have a lot of impact on price. So that's one of the kind of the, the skills that you develop over time, the strategies is to try and how can I get exposure uh, to this name without moving the price that much. And, and we're linked into a whole network of brokers getting access to maybe contra flow. So if I'm a big buyer, I'm getting notified like, hey, we have a seller of this name that you might be interested in. So you're trying to minimize impact all the time. Job number one, this is quoting you, is making sure that the fund matches the performance of you know your 4,000 some odd stock benchmark yep. every day. But there are, there are other strategies that you do, right? So that you, you end up matching the index at the end of the day, but without, as you said, uh, you know, without having a big impact on an individual stock. Right, so it might be helpful to kind of, if you think about the entire US stock market on any given day, Consuela, there's roughly $600 billion trade between equities and futures. On a busy day, let's say for example, I have $2 billion comes into total stock market, which is a, a significant cash flow. Mm -hmm. That is still less than half of 1% 
of the volume that trades that day. Wow. And even that $2 billion, I can easily trade that over the last half hour of the day with little to no impact. Like you can trade a billion dollars worth of S&P 500 for four to five basis points. So we're talking about minute, uh, you know, really, really small. When I'm trading, it's not a concentrated basket. I'm trading 1,500, 2,000 names at a time. So it's a very broad, diversified basket. And I make sure that the, those names that I'm trading, that the market can absorb that without having too much impact. And the, and the more illiquid names in the tail, we have different strategies for those where we will trade these over the course of maybe a week or so and just be purely opportunistic looking for the other side in those names. How is it possible for your index fund, for instance, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, uh, to match an index considering that even with your low fees, there's still fees. So you've got like four basis points or something um, yeah. and you've got, you know, trading and transaction costs. I would say when I started Consuelo, you know, the average expense ratio at Vanguard was, was closer to 30 basis points. Right. And then over the years, as assets have gotten larger, uh, we've been able, because of our unique structure. So we're own, if you have, a, if you own a Vanguard fund, you're technically you own Vanguard. A lot of asset managers, you have uh, the management company, and then you have you know investors in the funds, and you have investors who either who own maybe the stock if it's publicly traded, or if it's a family who owns it, you privately owned. Uh, we we do not have that issue. So anytime that we have you know when when as as assets increase, you're able to pass that on in the in the form of a lower expense ratio. It's almost like a dividend back to the shareholders. So we've gotten it to the point now where the average expense ratio at Vanguard is eight basis points, and as you point out. For total stock, it's four basis points. One of the things that the expense ratio captures a lot of the, the, the costs involved with running a fund, but it actually doesn't cover transaction costs mm -hmm. or the commission fees and that. And those are kind of a headwind. And that's why I mentioned earlier that one of the really nice things about uh, indexing is that the turnover, the amount of trading you're doing is relatively small. Right. So if you can keep that number small, it is possible to manage funds. I would maybe turn it around, Consuelo, and say, you know, for, for maybe too long, investors have been paying too much for their investments. And Vanguard's managed to get it to a point now where we feel in Vanguard, a, a, an investor in our Vanguard funds can get broad, diversified exposure at very, very cheap rates. You know, as you mentioned, four basis points, so $4 for every $10,000 you have invested. And I've no doubt that over the years, it, it, it may even go lower as, as we get even further economies of scale. And you're doing other things as well, right? You're, you're lending stock yes. to short sellers, for instance. Our security lending, I think, is a little different in that you know, we, it, it costs whatever it costs to run that group, then every penny after that goes directly to the funds that loan it out. There's no percentage going to uh, the owners of, of, of the company or anything like that. It's going directly to the funds that loan it out. So it can add up. And over time, like for example, uh, total stock market, so far uh, this year, I think a little over a basis point has come from security lending, lending out securities in the fund. So it's a huge, uh, you know, tailwind for investors in the fund to get this little bit of a value kick from loaning out securities. Right. You know, Jerry, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm listening to um, how active uh, a part humans play in this whole process. And we are in an era of, you know, AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, you've seen the automation of the markets in so many ways. Um, I mean, are, are you going to eventually be replaced by a machine or, you know, or how do you, uh, you know, is the, the human role, uh, it sounds like it's still very critical. Is it going to continue to be critical? 
Well, I would start by saying, Consuelo, that I think we're in the early innings. You know, if this was a baseball game, I think we're in the first innings or so of this AI. But there's no question that it has the potential to improve our processes, our, 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 the ability to maybe uh, manage our portfolios even better. We get access to all sorts of data, and it's almost overwhelming the amount of data we get. And so the ability potentially to be able to consume that data and be able to take it and make better informed decisions in terms of trading. So we see it as, as an exciting thing that is, is maybe even going to make our traders job, maybe even make it even more, more efficient for us going forward. So I don't see it as something that's going to replace it. I, I see it as something that's going to complement us uh, as we go down the road on this. You run the world's, with your team, you know, the world's largest mutual fund. And a lot of people have never heard of you. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, <laughs> so there are these rock star active managers and here you are, this anonymous guy, with this tremendous job. Does that ever bother you or, you know, would you would you prefer to be less well known? When I started on the desk, Consuelo, uh, you know, the person who was running the desk was Gus Sauter. I'm not sure if, you, if you've. Oh, ever sure. I know his name very well. Famous yeah, he legend. Gus, he, he was the he was the absolute most humble humility personified. And I think yeah. when you work with someone like that. Uh, you understand that, all right, that's something that I would strive to be able to copy, something like that. And so I love the fact that I do my thing, that we just, we do our job and there's, uh, you know, we just quietly operate beneath the radar. And um, it, it's, 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 no, it's a badge of honor. I mentioned in my introduction to you, the fact that you represent, represented Ireland in the 1988 Seoul Olympics, uh, you ran, the a mile under four minutes several times in, in your early career. Uh, how has that figured into your uh, ability to be a trader, to run the world's largest mutual fund? Is it, has it made any difference? You know, I, I think early on, um, there's certain things that you can absolutely say that, you know what, that, that was a good thing that I was able to. So for example, the ability, as you can imagine on the trading desk, there are times when it becomes pretty stressful. It can be quite hectic. I, you know, I remember times when in my running career, whether it was in, at the Milrose Games in New York or running at the Penn Relays or running in the Olympics, where there's a lot of pressure on and you have to be able to perform. And so dealing with stress, dealing with pressure, that all I think I benefited from having an athletic career. When you are a track athlete like, like I was, it wasn't unusual for me in my college days to be running 90, 95 miles a week, preparing for cross country and running the races that I ran. Um, the same way when I'm getting ready for a big trade, I'm doing the work that needs to be done to make sure that I fully understand what's involved in this trade. And I would say the other big thing is overcoming disappointments. You know, there's lots of times when you do all the homework on a trade and it doesn't work out. You need to be able to bounce back the next day. You can't drag it on. So you have to have a short memory. Same way I, I used to have in, in track when, when things didn't work out. So there's, there's lots of benefits to it. And I also think just being competitive, um, that doesn't hurt at all. Being able to kind of go toe to toe with, with, with some of the brokers sometimes is, is enjoyable. Final question is, uh, we always ask every WealthTrack guest, uh, if there's one investment that we should all own some of in a long-term diversified portfolio. I mean, you're running a long-term diversified <laughs> portfolio for heaven's sakes, but is there one investment we should all own some of to maybe add to that diversification? So my fund will give you that diversification for U.S. domestic equities. Right. But if you wanted to keep it really simple, Consuelo, you could have total stock market, total bond, and total international. We generally say when you really can't talk your own book, is there any other investment, again, that would be a good diversifier? 
people think, hey, Vanguard, you're, all, you're, you're only about indexing. And I have active funds in my portfolio. You know, there are, I have at my core uh, low-cost, diversified index funds, but I also hold some of our active funds. And I, I think that's perfectly good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with active. I think the only issue we would have is with high-cost active funds. We don't believe that that's really maybe the best investment ever, but if you can get access to low-cost active funds, absolutely. What's your advice for individual investors as far as how they should view, uh, view, the, view the market and in, in investing uh, in stocks? You cannot time the market. I have yet to meet someone, Consuelo, who can time it. Some people can get one leg of it right. They know when to get out, but they, then they forget when to get back in again. So I, I am a huge fan. It's not, you know, I think Mr. Bogle's quote was, it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. I'm a huge fan of automatic investment plans where you're just putting in, whether it's every paycheck, every month, and just forgetting about, and trying to block out the noise. And I just tell people, hey, set your allocation, get that right, and then just block out the noise. Jerry O'Reilly, such a treat to have you on Wealth Track for your debut interview. I really appreciate your spending the time. Thank you so much, Consuelo. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is choose the culture of the firms you are investing with carefully. Vanguard has a superb reputation for putting its investors first. Founder John Bogle set it up as a unique investor-owned structure owned by its funds, which are in turn owned by its shareholders. So it keeps costs low and represents shareholder interest above all other parties. But there are other select firms which are equally as conscientious and consistent about putting their investors first, who take their fiduciary responsibilities seriously. We regularly feature them on WealthTrack and will continue to do so. Culture counts, especially over the long term. Next week, high growth portfolio manager Michael Lippert on his top conviction stocks. In this week's extra feature, Jerry O'Reilly shares how he stays mentally and physically fit. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a super weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.